Welcome to Conversations from the Rabbit Hole. Here we take an informal approach to the interview process and reacquaint ourselves with the fine art of the conversation. So put on a supper coat, grab a beverage, pull up a chair, and let's have a chat. Hi, and welcome to Conversations from the Rabbit Hole. Uh, it's kind of a new mini-series that we're trying here with a bunch of Minnesota musicians to try to get inside their head, what makes them tick, and all that kind of stuff. So this week I am super excited. Uh, we've got Annie Enneking. Did I say that right? From Annie and the Bang Bang. Say hi, Annie. Hello, Annie. Yes. And I promised you I would do this. There we go. So Yay. welcome. I'm so Thank happy you. to have you here. I'm so happy I'm to have you here. Um, happy to be. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I'm kind of curious of is uh, I love the name of your band, Annie and the Bang Bang. It reminds me of Annie Oakley, like back in the Old West. You know what I mean? Okay. And I think it kind of fits with your music, you know, just kind of that... Uh, it's not really country and western, but it's got a rawness to it that I imagine existed back in that time. <laughs> so, does that am I am I onto anything here? Is Annie and the Bang Bang kind of a nod to Annie Oakley and and that kind of stuff? I think it it can be for sure. Like that was one of the things floating around the idea. I also like the notions of explosions. But yeah, if you if you if you uh, pair the word Annie and Bang together, the the image of Annie Oakley will come up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I I thought I would since we're exploring new territory here, and I guess before we get too far, I have to say that Annie has adhered to the dress code tonight thank you so she looks sharp and don't you just feel better when you look sharp oh yeah yeah right so that's the whole you know if you look better there, you feel better you feel better and there are very few opportunities one has these days to like have an excuse to look sharp so right. i'm i was like i'm all about the suit coat i'm pretty happy about it i do want uh, listeners to know too that i have another option for a suit coat. I brought two suit coats, so I won up to you. I'm just going to say that. Well, I'm so sorry. I, I am impressed. I'm impressed. <laughs> Not a lot of people would understand the necessity of a dress code for radio, but I'm glad that you do. So, I do. In, uh, the, in the before times, my daughters and I used to dress up like very fancily to go grocery shopping. We'd be uh, like, let's get on like dress and heels and go grocery shopping. <laughs> So any excuse to dress up is a good excuse for me. Oh, yeah, that's perfect. I like the thought of going grocery shopping all dressed up. Mm -hmm. That's a good image. Is there any songs about that, going to the grocery store, being dressed up? Well, I think that has to be a line in the song now. Yeah, well, it sure. should be. So, yeah. you know, not that I'd w I want to write your music for you, but, <laughs> hey, you know. Um <laughs> But I did write something this week about your music. Do you want to hear it? I it, do. I do. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna warn you though because I, I tried to put on like my. You ever you ever see the movie Almost Famous? 
I love that movie. Yeah, great movie, right? So I, I tried to get inside the mind of a of a, a Rolling Stone writer here. Okay, <laughs> um, it's very brief, but I'm going to share it with you. Are you ready? Uh, I'm ready. I'm okay. listening. So Annie and the Bang Bang. This is my take on your record, Loveland. Okay, it's a simmering, controlled intensity that stands confident in its boldness and unapologetic raw energy. Listeners must know I put my hands to my heart. <laughs> in, in, in a, um, I just took all that information in and I'm swelling. My heart is swelling three times its size. Yes, that, that, was, that was me putting on my, my writer's cap. So that's, that's my ode to Annie and the Bang Bang. Right on. I love that. Yeah. I love that. I love that you use the words energy and then also the notion of being controlled because it mm -hmm. feels like really like huge but contained. Like it's, yes. it's got these containers um, and it then never feels out of control, but it pushes at the boundaries of, of yeah, like vibrancy and energy. I think. Mm -hmm. I think that's awesome. I, 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 thanks for writing that. I'll sell it to you if you want to use it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be like our website. It's the tagline yeah. of our website. <laughs> yeah, uh, you send me a box of Andy's mints once a year, and and we'll call it square. Sounds good. That cool. Sounds good. All right. Um, so, kind of along that lines, I wanted to touch base on kind of that raw feel that your record has, because I think a lot of people uh, or a lot of musicians these days uh, try to capture that on 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 tape. I still use the term tape even though very few people record using tape these days. But try to capture that raw energy on tape. And sometimes they're successful, but you ever see a live band and then you go home and listen to the record and it's a little, it doesn't meet the live expectations. Like I can listen to your record and, and picture myself watching you like in the 7th Street entry, you know? Like I can hear that energy, I can feel that energy in your record. Um, so well done. That's awesome. I really appreciate that. Because I, I have a similar um, uh, experience when I go see a band live and there's all that energy and there's the back and forth, that, like sort of exchange of energy that's going on in the room. It's bouncing around. The atoms yep. are flying around. Yep. Um, and then I come home and then somehow the whatever's been laid down on tape mm -hmm. uh, is... Uh, somehow is thinner than the thing that I just saw. And yeah. I think that's always going to be the case for the most part, right? That you can't capture the live experience uh, on, on, on record. Um, but I think uh, the way that we approach the crafting of the songs, especially with this particular album, did not differ from the way that we captured it in the room, right? So yeah. um, it's, we're always bouncing around with, uh, uh, energetic exchanges while we're creating the things. And then when we went down to little big studios in Cannon Falls and worked with Brent Sigmuth, we just lived in that his house for the weekend. Right. So we oh, did this awesome. in 2019. So that's part of it. Right. It's like, we like to live together. We like to eat together. We like to drink out under the stars together. We like to make the music together. And, um, so I think that's part of the reason that we could do this is that we just were inside of a, a vortex of energy for, uh, Two, two different weekends, right? Um, and so we captured what's actually happening in the room. And because we all play live together and like maybe 
overdub my vocals later or mm -hmm. maybe in a, a guitar solo um so for us to capture the feeling that we have when we play together is what um uh, was gratifying to to um feel that that had been achieved for sure and, yeah and that was one of the notes that i made it, it sounded like it was recorded live like yes you guys were just in a room together you hit record and like you said you did your vocal overdubs but you can definitely feel that in the recording. And those are yeah. my favorite kinds of recordings. Like my, my all-time favorite record is uh, the Southern Harmony and Musical Companion by the Black Crows, right? Mm -hmm. And they made that record in like eight days or something like that. But when you listen to it, you can hear that same energy. You can tell that they were in, all in the room vibing on each other. Uh, like you said, the atoms were flying around. And... Yeah. Um, it's one of the reasons why I like your record so much. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah I think there can be a lot, a lot can be lost in, um, if the goal is technical proficiency, mm -hmm. uh, versus like attachment to another human being, like relationship. It's always about relationship for me. Yeah. And I think for the other members of my band. And I remember we also went down there specifically deciding to not know everything we needed to know about a particular song. Like mm -hmm. let's let, part of this be a mystery and let's just find it out there. And that we uh, gave ourselves the time and worked with a person who had time um, really allowed us to explore a lot of different stuff. And so you like that Black uh, Black Crows albums? That's what you're talking about, right? Yes. I, I would say I get that feeling from like the Van Morrison Astral Weeks. That oh, one sure. Isn't the myth of that? It's like they did it in three days yeah. or something. And yep. it's just you hear the, like you, you hear the room. Yes. The, the instruments are being played in right you hear the yeah. life inside of that room and yeah. you, you know so i just love that i, I, love I feel like that's an i hate to say it but i feel like that's an old school way of making records now you know mm -hmm. um just based on technology and uh i can't speak for how the how the kids are doing it these days but i know that how i did it and listening to you on how this record was recorded you know that that to me is very like I picture the seventies, like that's how they made records in the seventies, you know, um, which is interesting. Cause I heard some, um, some Jefferson starship in your record. Really? Yes. Interesting. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's an influence of yours, but I, I, I wouldn't say it's an, it's an overwhelming vibe that I got, but I, at, at one point I was listening, uh, and I was like, you know, it's kind of got a little Jefferson, uh, airplane vibe to it. I would never like, have thought that. Yeah, more like uh, what's that song they have? The really trippy one about the 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 pill or the rabbit. Um, oh, the white rabbit. Yes, uh, thank yeah, you. Called white rabbit. Right? Yep. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting you say that because when we've played in clubs before, where we have to like if we play and we have to play for three hours, we play covers, and everybody's like, "You all should do white rabbit." So everybody asks us to okay. do that, and we're like, I don't "Know that song?" You know, I mean, we can't do it, but yeah, that's really interesting. Um. Hey, can I ask you a question? For sure. We're just um, chatting. What do, what do you think? Okay, so I often bristle a little bit at the notion of influences versus like favorite. Like, mm -hmm. or like, what did you grow up with listening? Or because, yeah. and, and bristle isn't quite the right word, but I don't think, I guess when I hear the word influence, I think about someone intentionally going like, I'm going to do this thing I hear this person doing versus there's a, 
stream of music that has been with you your whole life. And so, of course, it's going to come out of you. Yeah. Um, what What's your take on like those word choices? Like, do you think about influences or do you think oh. about like the wave of music you ride in your life? That is an excellent. I love that. The, the wave of music that you ride in your life. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Um, I think it's a combination of both. Uh, I just actually had this conversation with a friend of mine uh, last night, I think, um, where I think, like, let's say your favorite band is uh, Jimi Hendrix. Let, you know, let's we'll pretend for a minute. Maybe it is. I don't know. But um, and that's your biggest influence. Uh, I also believe that, okay, so what was Jimi influenced by? Mm, and mm -hmm. then... Uh, that person who was that influenced by so we're a culmination of all this musical DNA that has been passed down to us right yeah. um, and well uh, so I think there's that aspect but there's also like I can I can sit down and listen to a piece of music and have it spark something in me where I want to sit down and write a song and I think that's the wave you're talking about you're just kind of you get crashed by the wave and you just write it to wherever the song shows up, you know, and whatever comes out of that particular wave. Um, and then inside of that wave are the little sub waves where all your influences pop up, you know, all that musical DNA starts taking shape and taking I, I love that. You. Yeah. I love that idea. That, that notion of like, so if you, so for instance, you know, if there's somebody that you, you listen to and you really like them, um, so for me, it'd be like PJ Harvey or Liz Fair or Joni Mitchell mm -hmm. uh, or Leonard Cohen or any number of people, right? But that if you think about who who they were listening to and why they play the way they play, so that we're all just in one long line, like we're we're yeah. inheriting, yeah, like you're saying, musical DNA, which of course now reminds me of an acid trip I had when I was <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I love that, that it's all... Um, yeah, what somebody digs influences what they play, and then you like dig on the thing, and then which means you're digging on the thing they dug, and you know that's so yeah. cool. And not that. even knowing it, you know, it's like having you know every fourth generation, you'll you'll see a picture of you as a kid, and then you'll see a picture of your great 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 grand grandmother, and you're like, wow, you guys look exactly alike, yeah. and it's seven generations apart. You know, I think. Yeah. I like to think anyways that music works in a very similar fashion, you know. Yeah. No. And actually now you say that I think I know uh Kari, the our bass player or the bass player, um I think it's her grandma or her great grandma, she found this picture of one of them like playing a guitar like she had, mm -hmm. was holding this guitar. She's like, "Oh, that's, you know." So, yeah. Which is just literal yeah. inheritance, you know. She's inheriting musical um love. Um, and I often think a lot about um, when I was growing up and my mom, we had to move across the country and we had a green van that my mom sort of tricked out mm -hmm. so we could sleep in there and eat in there and do all that stuff. And it had an eight track tape player, but we only had four tapes. So it was like driving across the country only to like Chicago's greatest hits, Janice, Ian, uh, um, America and the early Bee Gees. You know oh, what wow. I mean? So it's like just this really concentrated period of time where I was only hearing that music. Yeah. You know, and, 
I just love that. So do you think any, I'm I'm sure some of that seeped into you. Like, what do you, if you were to listen to one of those records uh, tonight when we're done, like, where does that put you? Do you, is that like a good vibe for you? Oh, yeah. Like how ingrained in that, in yourself, and in turn, how ingrained in your musical um, stylings is that prevalent? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think the experience is really ingrained in a really good way. And I think maybe the the singer-songwriter aspect, that might be directly from like Janice Ian or something, right? Because mm-hmm. if I were to put on the song 17, which is a song that I heard when I was a kid, you know? Yeah. Um, and I can't remember if I talk, was talking to you about this or someone else, but that 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 notion of when you're younger and you're listening... Oh, I think it was you. I wrote, I wrote a thing about Joni Mitchell at the time. Yeah. But that... That if you're hearing a song, a singer sing a song, first of all, it takes a little while when you're younger to kind of piece together the notion that a song is a story about a life, whether Mm -hmm. it's the singer's life or someone else's life. But that means because they're a human being living certain experiences, it means you too may someday have those experiences. So what you're listening to is a prediction of of your potential future, right? So I really listened to that song, 17. I was like, oh, this is a story about someone who feels really horrible about themselves. And they also are living and growing up around other people who tease them for who they are. And they feel ugly and are teased for being ugly. And, and um, uh, you know, so I, I empathized with that singer, the, the narrator of the story, and and understood that that's a part of a life is that, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to feel like you don't fit in or... Um, and it was one of the first times I understood that song is a story. Like you're telling, it's a, it's, yeah. there's some sort of narrative, whether it's a strict narrative and you can follow a, the line of the story, or if it's more ephemeral and it's uh, just creating pictures that collect around an idea, you know. But mm-hmm. I, I just thought they were like acts of magic in a way because they were, yeah, predictors of the future. So. That's an awesome take. In fact, it, it kind of. So I want to wrap up each of these sessions with kind of a question, mm-hmm. but it kind of plays into that. So I'm going to, I'm going to hold off on that for a few minutes. Cause there's a couple other things I wanted to talk to you about. Um, um, you mentioned uh, like that when you were young and listening to those four tra- or the eight tracks rather. So when did you write your first song? Do you remember what that was about? Oh my gosh. I don't remember what the very, very first song that I wrote was about, but I remember that my boyfriend at the time bought me a guitar. I was 15. He gave me the guitar. And mm-hmm. a song that I remember that I wrote uh, wasn't the first one, but it was called uh, something about a boy who had blue eyes. And it was uh, for one of my friends um, who was about, we were graduating from high school and he was always kind of shy. And, um, and I, uh, was always kind of had crushed out on him a little bit, and I, and I just wrote him a little song, and he let mm. me play it for him, and really? you know, moved that I had written him a song, and oh, uh, oh yeah, little boy blue with your heart, and something was terrible. <laughs> but <laughs> no. do you remember how old you were? I was probably sixteen or okay. seventeen when I shared the song. Yeah, but yeah, wow. yeah, <laughs> that's do awesome. Remember, do you remember the first song you ever wrote? Uh yes. Um, it was called Toaster Shakings. Okay. <laughs> so it's a it's like a, a 
I'm terrible. I'm a terrible guitar player from a technical knowledge standpoint. So it was like a what do you call the just a blues progression, like a twelve yeah, bar like blues 12 bar. or something. It's a twelve bar blues song called Toaster Shakings, and it was about um, Saturday morning waking up, going downstairs to find out your mom hadn't gone grocery shopping. So the only food in the house uh, that you got was turning turning the toaster upside down and shaking out the crumbs. So, you poor, poor thing. Yeah, right? You poor, poor thing. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. uh, my only regret with that is, uh, like, everything this day and age is, is documented, you know, from video, and we have the capability where we can record ideas and songs whenever we feel like it, whether it's, you know, on our phone or yeah. whatnot. And I, I, I feel really bad that I, I didn't have that opportunity because I was, I don't know, I was like 15 or something when I wrote it, which would put me in 1987, I think. So, yeah. um, you know, we just didn't have that. I, I might have a cassette recording of it somewhere. Yeah. I, I, we moved houses recently and I got to find a box of like old cassette recordings I'd made when I was that age, like 15. Mm -hmm. right? So... You don't think you record? You must have recorded that song. I, I may have. It might be somewhere. I'd have to look for it. I would love it if I found it because it's. Uh, I don't. You know. Well, plus, while you're looking for that specific song, you're gonna go through cassette tapes of you doing other shit. Oh so yeah. Awesome. Some yeah. embarrassing stuff. Because. Oh yeah. I, I don't. So what's? Uh, do you have an embarrassing music story? Like, like for me, I t like a typical musical progression that I envision is very similar to my own. Like you, you, you figure out that you wanna be a musician, right? And you learn some songs and then you realize that you wanna start writing songs. But like for me, I was in a hair metal band back in the 80s, you know, so big hair and just you know, that kind of stuff. So that's like my, that's where I started. So do you, do you have anything like that? Or were you always this, you know, this cool lady that wrote songs and always in tune with the, always in tune with the coolness you know what i'm saying oh my god like i was Thank never in you. I, I you know I, I had to discover my coolness later in life you know <laughs> thus the supper coat and and whatnot there you go but, there yeah. you go um no i don't uh i remember i was always okay i have a great origin story in terms of like singer songwritering right because yeah. i was always terribly embarrassed and i just played in my room and i was just quiet 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 i wasn't gonna do anything and um and when I was in my, I was like 24, 25, something like that. My husband, now my husband, we moved to Boston because he was going to finish his degree in uh, creative writing. And I worked for a woman named Connie Panzerino who had spinal muscular atrophy. So I was her PCA. I was her personal care attendant. And she could only move her pinky finger. And I'll tell you a really awesome story about her in a second. But she found out that I played guitar and she was a bossy, bossy, bossy woman. I love her <laughs> so much. Um, and she was like, you're bringing your guitar here tomorrow and you're going to play for me. And I was like, oh, my God. And you had to do what Connie said because she was so intense. And I played her one of the songs that one of the first songs that I wrote that I was like, oh, this is actually a song. And it was called Fast and Good Looking. And I played it and she was like, that's amazing. You should always write and play guitar and you are going to play my birthday party. So you better play all your songs. And I was like, no, make me do it. But she made me do it. And um, you had to do what Connie Panzerino said. And uh, from there, I was like, I got, I was sort of 
you know, got my legs under me a little bit, you know, but until then I was just the shy person. Um, and I never wanted to play for other people, but it was a mat. It was a huge passion of mine. All I do. I mean, ever since I was like five years old, I've written in a journal. Like I just write every day. That's my habit. I just write. And, um, some of those things turn into a song. Um, but anyway, can I tell you a funny story about Connie Panzerino? Absolutely, because I love her name. Let's get that out of the way. Connie Panzerino. So please tell me a story. She was, um, she and Ron, who was the guy on 4th of July? Ron. Um, I can't remember his last name. The main guy? Kovac, Kovac, Ron Kovac. Oh, okay. They They were together, right? So she would tell these great stories about how, like, they would make their PCAs, like, tip their wheelchairs over so they could go be together like they would crawl <laughs> over to each other right but anyway she was super radical she was a radical dyke activist in her later years and she made yeah. a lot of stuff change for um folks who um were disabled or like you know were in chairs and stuff mm-hmm. and um i was her pca on the day that we had the, there was a big gay pride parade in uh boston and she made me paint a sign uh First of all, I have to explain. She was on a trach. She had a tracheotomy, so mm-hmm. she was on a ventilator, right? But she made me paint a sign that said, "Traked dykes can eat pussy without coming up for air." <laughs> <laughs> and we just walked down the center of the parade, and everybody was like, "Wow!" <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that's, so, that's awesome. Yeah. So she was a huge influence because she was like, she, you know, took no shit and did everything she wanted to do that she could do and made sure everybody around her that she loved did what they should be doing. So Connie Panzerino, not pants, pans, (laughs) Panzerino, Panzerino. (laughs) I kind of feel like maybe you took some of that attitude into uh, Annie and the bang bang. Maybe I did. I don't think it's a maybe. I think I think it kind of did. Well, yeah. So if we have musical influences, we also have personal ones. And I yeah. would say, yeah, she made me like, you know, pull my big girl pants on and <laughs> do it, you know. <laughs> how uh, how long has Annie and the Bang Bang been together? We've been around. Okay, so as this entity, which I feel like is like freaking Annie and the Bang Bang, yeah. uh, has been four, three or four years. So, um, uh in 2011, I formed the band with my friend Chadley Copenhaver. He was the drummer. Mm-hmm. And he brought on Tom Penny, who was the bassist for a while. Yeah. Um, and uh, we played around for a bit. And then uh, they left. And um, and then my friend Mike Kittle, who's a sound designer, and John Reedlinger, who's a guitarist uh, and was also an actor that I've acted with, um, we were together for a while. And then, yeah, and then the other bassist left. And then Mike was like, we need a bassist. And I, I knew a girl in college. <laughs> I was like, that just sounded like the most ridiculous thing. I was like, how are you still in touch with a bassist you knew in college? <laughs> and it turned out he was. And and um, she came in and, and like, it was just like, it was just going like gangbusters right away. And, and um, that instant connection. Totally. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. And then we just started touring like crazy and and uh, once I figured out that touring was just that you called other states and were like, can I please come play your bar? Right. Like, I thought it was some mysterious thing where you had to have, like, representation. And I was like, no, no just go to a place you think is going to be really fun. Yep. Like, if you want to go hiking the mountains, g- call up some places in Colorado, you know? Yeah. So we want to do all of the – Um, we, our goal is to uh, hit every place with a national park. <laughs> oh, awesome. 
That's a great idea. (laughs) That's a great idea. Well, I was going to ask you, like, you know, rewind about a year and a half before this whole COVID thing happened and the music business looked a lot different. You know, you'd, you'd get together, you'd write a bunch of songs, you'd record those songs, you'd put out an album and then you would go play shows and then you would repeat, um, a very crucial element has been removed from that. Like we're not playing shows. So like, what are you doing to, um, kind of go with the changes that came here? Like what's, what's next for you? Like, what does it look like promoting and promoting an album when you can't play shows? Um, well, you know, I always feel like every show you play is a CD release show anyway, right? Because yeah. what you're doing is just getting behind the music that you've made together. Yeah. Um, so what we want to do is we're just going to wait till spring and then just find some places or create our own thing where we can play outdoors. Like yeah. um, we do a lot of things where it doesn't exist yet, but we'll make it happen. Like a couple years ago, obviously way pre-pandemic we had like we were like we want to play at a roller skating rink so we're gonna like set up in the corner we're gonna and people can skate you know and that was a really fun thing so we're kind of like a um figure out what you want to do and just make it happen kind of group Mm -hmm. so one of the things we decided to do because we know we weren't going to be able to do shows is we wanted to make a little concert film so we rented out the southern theater um in this last summer when things had sort of chilled out around the numbers of COVID, we all still t- took it very seriously. Everyone was masked yeah. um, until the band started performing. Then we took the masks off. But we made like a film. So it wasn't a live stream. It's a film mm-hmm. um, with really great sound and um, beautiful lights. And so what we want to do is when it gets a little bit warmer, we want to go around and anybody who wants to like invite some people over to their house and have like, we'll bring a fire pit and we'll bring like a screen and project the film and get a good PA system so they can watch the film because it'll still be too cold for us to like play. Um, uh, But yeah, we're just trying to find things that are fun for us to do that are achievable. Mm -hmm. You know, like I really want to have like a set up a PA system out on an ice skating rink. You know, oh, so yeah. people can like listen to the album while they skate around. But then I think about, well, there's noise, you know, there's probably a noise ordinance and stuff like that. Sure. Um, but yeah, everybody has to think a little bit outside the box right now because of the limitations, which yeah. I'm always actually I find is really, um, yeah, it's kind of a turn on, which is like, oh, you can't do that thing the regular way. Well, how are you going to do it? Well, then you have to think of something even more fun, like they yeah. wouldn't have thought before. Um, but for us, like album sales was never really a driving thing for us. People don't like flock to buy our albums or anything like that. So the fact that we can't play to promote mm-hmm. isn't as much of a thing. We we like connecting with people for yeah. sure. Um, so we'll go back to like the Trump Low Hotel and play outdoors on their stage. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, uh, you know, John will send me little voice memos of a guitar riff he's got going and if I like it, like I'll plug it in my headphones and just go for a walk for a while and yeah. listen to it, you know. Um, and we find ways to uh, uh, rehearse sometimes because we all get masked up. And then also Mike, the drummer, has made this like structure in his basement so everybody can be in their own plastic chamber. There's plastic hanging up down there. Yeah. So we have dis- plastic between us and masks. Um, 
and uh, we're going to go and, and uh, do a COVID safe, like recording session mm -hmm. um, in a little while. So yeah, we just have to be a little more creative with how we make things happen, but we're trying to still make them happen in yeah. a safe way. Safe I, as we can, you know. I, I feel like that's it, as much of a struggle the past year has been for a lot of people. Um, I feel like, it's been that way for a lot of people I know musically. They've been forced to kind of uh, stretch the realm of what they think is possible and get really creative with still getting their music out and connecting with people. Because that's the that's the largest part of live shows. It's just that connection and the energy in the room, you know. And and you know it as well as I do. You have shows that are clunky because the energy's all jacked up, you know. And mm -hmm. but then there's those nights where like that was that was a religious experience yeah. you know yeah. um yeah sometimes it could be and it could be a religious experience with like seven people and you're like yeah. oh, that was amazing you know what i mean mm -hmm. but and you put out a lot of stuff this year you've done like collaborations you just put out that new thing which i was checking out today so chill i love that yeah. you know like just doing so what are you doing like how how are you creating time to do that and how you know what i mean like i don't, I don't know <laughs> i don't know um it's uh well do you know ted heineshevitz yeah. yeah so um i've i've hung out with him physically one and a half times in person he was at my house not too long ago and then i met him when i was running sound at the aster one night so he was just like, hey, are you Ryan? I'm like, yeah. I was like, we have a mutual friend. And um, when the pandemic hit, we just we just started collaborating. And yeah. it, it kind of just spiraled into all these other ideas that we're, that we're just kind of running with just because it's, it's fun, you know. Yeah. We don't have any grand plan to – it's just fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, and that's and that's the thing I think about a lot is like that's the only thing we're ever guaranteed is the experience we're having in the moment we're having it, right? So yep. anything else is like completely unknown. So if you love the people you're in the room with or that you are in virtual space with mm -hmm. and you get to make something with them and you like what they make and you like what they bring out in you or allow you to, you know, the, the space they create for you to step into, yeah. like that's gold. That's all we have for sure, you yeah. know? So that's all we're guaranteed is what's happening right now. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'd like to feel that myself and a lot of people I choose to associate with have that same mindset. Like this is the hand we were given. What are we going to do with it? You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's really refreshing to hear that, uh, you know, you're kind of in that same wheelhouse. And uh, I even said, did you say you're an actor? Yeah, or I, I was. I quit acting officially a few years ago. But yeah, okay. I'm an actor and a fight director. So I teach stage combat and I um, create fights for the stage. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So how long have you been doing that? Well, I was an actor from the time I was 14 until about a few years ago when I was just breaking my brain and I just yeah. had to stop. And what I loved about that experience was that because I had identified as an actor for almost my entire life. Yeah. Um, but at some point, uh, my I understood that my ego, I didn't need to do it anymore. And I don't mean ego like, oh, I'm so great or I'm so terrible. It was just literally like I understood that I am who I am, whether I do that or not. 
So I was like, great, I can let go of that. I can be done with that because it's hurting me now. It's not beneficial. Um, And then uh, I started, and then I was a dancer for a long time when I was about 19. So I did those two careers simultaneously. But then in about 2008, I held a broadsword in my hands for the first time during a play. Mm -hmm. And my whole body just started singing. It was just like, "Mm," and I was like, okay, what's this? We'll pay attention to this. And then I just uh, pursued that really um, vigorously as a course of study. Um, And, uh, you know, have a mentor and and, uh, different instructors that I I love dearly. Um, And so uh, did that for a long time, study it for a long time, and now get to study it by teaching it. Um, And I have beautiful students at like Augsburg and the University of Minnesota, who I don't get to be in a room with right now. But um, yeah, yeah, doing that for so for a long time. And I learned from my other um, people in town who are practitioners of that art form. Mm -hmm. And I love that craft because it just demands total presence, absolute communication. Um, Yeah, uh, yeah, you get take you you, you're taking really good care of another human being, Mm -hmm. you know, while you pretend to kill them. (laughs) Were you like, uh, like a stage actor? Did you do? Okay, so like theater and stuff like that? Primarily? Okay. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I have a bucket list, and on that bucket list is uh, me going and acting in something. Ooh. I don't know what that looks like. For a while, I thought it was like, you know, I'm just going to go to an open mic and do like a stand-up routine. Um, But I don't know if I could do that. So my bucket list is to do some form of acting before I'm dead and gone. Oh my God. So I'm going to put that in the back of my brain because what I like to do is make in theater, what we call devised theater pieces. So it's a thing that exists from nothing or like topics. So it's not a play that's written, but like, um, so, and I did one once with my friend, Sam Johnson, it was based on the mythology of sirens and it was called mm-hmm. what I want now I'll want later. And it was sort of a, the tagline of it, it was like CD release party fight club and oh, something. Nice. I don't know how to describe it, but it was a beautiful, devised piece in which my daughter who was nine at the time um she would just walk around with a fake knife and sometimes just pretend to kill herself (laughs) you know so what i like to do is work with people who are like oh i want to do this i want to so you said like i want to i want to act on something sometimes so i'd be like fine come here and and then i just find out the things you're most interested in doing and then see how they fit in with what's happening that'd be sweet (laughs) I always thought like improv would be fun, just, you know, but who knows? We can figure that out later, but yeah, bury that in your brain because I will, uh, I don't know if you know this about me, but if, if you ask me to do it, I'll probably do it. So, um, um, and that's kind of where Ted and I's relation relationship comes back in because we're just like, should we do this? Yeah, why not? Let's do it. Um, so I'm very much on board. It's not something, you know, that somebody brings up in casual conversation and never follows through with. Like I'm, I will do it. In fact, I will, uh, I will, uh, I will bet an Andy's mint on it. Give me that Andy's mint. Yeah. I'll send you a box. Okay, do it. Dare you. As a gift for being on the show, I'll send you a box (laughs) Andy's mints. I love that. I used to, so my story about Andy's mints is that I would always come home from school every day and would like put on the Mickey Mouse Club, right? And there was like American cheese slices in the fridge, you know, they're all wrapped up, 
right? Mm-hmm. And they were like, and we also had Andy's mints, but by the time I got to them, they were like refrigerated. And I was like, what the hell? So I would just sit on them. I would sit on a <laughs> American cheese and I would sit on the Andy's mint until it warmed up. And then I was like, great, now I'll unwrap it and eat it. <laughs> That's hilarious. I kind of like them frozen every once in a while. It's a nice, it's like, are you a fan of Girl Scout cookies? Yeah. So I'll throw a box of Thin Mints in the freezer, right? It's very similar. I mean, these these are much better. These are high class. You know, these are, are. but frozen, but they're not you, bad. Do you let them melt in your mouth or do you chomp them? That Andy's Mint. Because oh, I've I, never I, had a frozen Andy's Mint. I, I'm a chomper. Like, you just chomp that? Just, <laughs> yep. <laughs> but then I, I feel like if you chomp it, a frozen Andy's Mint, you're like the, it's like wine, right? You have to let it like <laughs> settle. And like not all the flavor is going to be present because it's the wrong temperature for flavor. Yeah, uh, I see. I'm saying it's wrong. I'm I, saying it's wrong. <laughs> are you saying like scientifically it, it's, it, it's just wrong scientifically and that I'm doing it well, completely? I'm not. I'm state, not extracting all the flavor that I could from my Andy's mint. Is what you're saying? That is what I'm saying. Okay. That is what I'm saying. I I'm, think there needs to be heat to extract it. Like you could have the other day. You could have a like, hey people, what bands don't you like? And I'll be like, here's how you can are not allowed to eat an Andy's mint. So <laughs> I'm saying. <laughs> Do you have a band that you don't like? Like, and you're well, not ashamed like- to say it. Well, yeah, Jane's Addiction. I have a hard time with it. Oh, and you try to, yes, you like this. You're like, right. what about this song? And I'm like, how many times do you need me to say I don't like Jane's Addiction? That's <laughs> interesting because I always looked at Jane's Addiction as having such a theatrical aspect to them. So to hear yeah. that you're an actor and that you've got such a, this huge theater background, I would think that would be right up your alley. But if you're not grooving the music, you're not grooving the music. I'm not like there, maybe there's a couple songs, but yeah, like it's yeah, it just doesn't appeal to me. And I and I always just like there are a few things if I hear it on the radio. This isn't true of Jane. You know, I'll give them a little bit more time. But like if I hear a certain thing on the radio, I'm like, no. Nope. Yep. And it's visceral. It's not even about, well, this is good or this is bad. It's just like literally my uh, body will not take that information. Yes. in. I don't I don't want it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I don't can't appreciate uh, what goes into it. But it is not a thing that uh, I want to sit with and put yeah. it in my head. I'm the so same like, way. Like I, I can tell within ten seconds if that song is gonna be with me for the rest of my life or not. Right. And right. Um, and you know, I take my playlist seriously. So I'm not no. gonna have. It's gonna be all killer, no filler. If you know what I mean. <laughs> so yeah, just like just like we got dress codes here in the rabbit That's hole. Right. Our playlists are of the highest ilk as well. Yes. So, they um, also work. You, you look sharp, and I can't thank you enough for adhering to the dress code because I didn't want to have an awkward conversation about, <laughs> you know, and force you to, you know, like reschedule, you know, because we had, you know, we had a lot of things had to get shifted around to make this happen, you know. You're busy, I'm busy, you know. Yeah. You know, it took what a if while. I didn't have a separate coat? What if I didn't have a suit coat in my closet? Like I would be like, I can't do the show until I can go to Savers. Mm-hmm. And be like, step away. But I have like a lot of separate coats, and I have a lot of jumpsuits. Those are my uh, go-to items of clothing. Oh, see, I knew I liked you for a reason. <laughs> uh, my 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 next goal in life. Do you want to hear my next goal in life? Is a velour tracksuit. How can that not be your next goal? <laughs> right? It has to be. And the f- it's achievable. I'm not kidding. 
I believe you. My wife won't let me leave the house, but I'm still not kidding. So. Well, are you actively seeking that? Are you? How oh, are you I know exactly. I know exactly where to get them. I'm just. Uh, Why are you waiting? It, it's What's not, up? I don't know. It, the time What's hasn't been right yet. I want to find the right one. I got to find the right one, and and I think it's like a burgundy color. Oh, I ha- yeah. I haven't found a, a a crushed like velour, crushed velvet velour tracksuit. So, um, if you come across something like that, I'll let you you know. And then, of course, guy. that's the thing you have to wear in the show that oh, I do, yeah. and obviously. For and sure. it might even you only just walk through sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I would rock it. I promise you, I will not let you down. So you find a velour tracksuit, put me on stage, and we'll it, it, <laughs> things will get things will get crazy. They'll get crazy. They get crazy. <laughs> um, do you want to hear my question? I would love to hear your question. I love well, all your questions. All right. So before we, before we get to the question of the night, um, I feel like we haven't talked about your record enough. We've just been having this great conversation. But where can people find your record, Loveland? They can find our record at Barely Brothers Record Store. If you want to give some love to a local record store, do that for sure. Barely Brothers in St. Paul. You can get find it on our website, AnnieInTheBangBang.com. Okay. You can find it on Bandcamp, Annie in the Bang Bang at Bandcamp.com. We also, it, it's available in digital download. And I will, I bought a CD burner a lot, not too long ago. So sometimes we um, do artisanal CDs as we call them. So I burn a oh. CD, we make a label and put it in a little thing for you. Cause some folks still need CDs, but yeah. it's available in all the, all the ways in um, many places. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. We had to do the, you know, the obligatory plug of the record. So, um, or else, how 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 are the folks going to know? You know, how are our our listeners in Hong Kong? How are they going to know? Right. Right. Uh, so, before I let you go, okay. Thank you for doing this. This has been awesome. Um, you were one of the first people that came to mind when I decided to do this because I knew you'd, you'd be a good conversation. So thank you very much. Um, Loveland is a great record. I have enjoyed it every single time I've listened to it. And it's, it's one of those records that, um, uh, you have those records that you, you listen to and you hear something new in it every time you listen to it, no matter how familiar you are with it. It's kind of like that for me so yes no thank you thank you um so i want to say thank you for that thank you for being here um like i said i want to finish each of these mini episodes with just a question and let you take it wherever wherever it is you want to go with it okay okay are you ready I hope so. You may want to adjust the coat. I got to adjust you know, the suit. Yeah, okay. Okay, here it is. Hopefully I, I, I don't I don't let you down, but here it is. What is your favorite aspect of writing a song? Okay, I've got to take a second to think about because I love writing more than anything. Mm-hmm. Like I feel lucky to love something as much as I love writing. My favorite aspect is... Uh, okay, there's two different ways. One is the way that like sub the song just falls into you and you're like, here's the song. Or the other side of that, which is like there's a thread 
and you're like pulling on this thread and you pull on the thread and, and mm-hmm. like the song comes to you that way, right? Um, and I also love the editing process. Okay. Like I love having too many images and too many um, ways to tell a story. And then I like to sort of carve it out a little bit. Like, what am I trying to say and how do I say that exactly? Mm-hmm. Um, so editing, I, yeah, I guess I would say editing. That's like my favorite thing to do. Okay. Because it means that I get to engage really specifically with uh, how an image resonates uh, with the story itself or with the feeling that's trying to evoke, you know, yeah. so I love to make pictures and I like to really sh- um, fine tune them. So I love yeah. editing. You're a thoughtful songwriter. You know, you know, there, there's those folks that can like uh, whip out a song in three minutes, you know. But you strike me as a thoughtful songwriter and one that um, doesn't stop until the song is right. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And, and, and that's very obvious. So if that's your intention, you're doing it correctly. So um, awesome. I'm going to head a, I have a second question of my main question because it just came to me. Are you more of a the process of songwriting or are you more about the end product because example sometimes i get very focused on what my vision is of the end product and really get excited and i want to be there that i forget about the journey to get there does that Mm. make sense it does make sense i might need a clarifying question to ask okay so when you say you know what you want the thing to be Mm -hmm. how do you know what you want the thing to be that's a great question. I have, I have like, it's almost like a musical uh, uh, painting that I see. Like, okay. I can see where it wants to go. And sometimes it doesn't go there, you know. But I get so excited about the fact that I know where it's going to go. And I have some kind of idea of what it's going to sound like when it's done. That I forget about the entire process to get there. And, and whether it's like uh, I don't, I suffer some lack of enjoyment in that process or it's I just, I'm focused, like I, I want to hear it when it's done. That's how, you know, I'm, I'm excited, oh, you know. I yeah. um, so um, are you more of like uh, I just love the process of getting there or the the pride you have when you have this song that's done that you've spent hours and hours crafting and editing and um and you're just like that proud mother you know well then this is my question to you is why can't you have both well you can i love the i love the process i Mm -hmm. love it so much uh i love it immensely um, but if it never resulted in something that felt okay, like feels like landed, mm-hmm. then I will be sad. You know what I mean? Like I, I want to feel a thing is landed. And I'll tell you, I feel like I know that a thing is landed and a song is done when I cry. And I don't mm-hmm. mean because I've moved myself. I mean because it, it landed. Like it's, I don't know how to describe it, but it's not an emotional thing. It's just like literally being overwhelmed by. Um, Oh God, it's, it just sounds so dumb and I, and I won't be able to articulate what it means at all. But yeah, I'll just say I love the process and I love when it lands because then I'm just like, 
I just feel deeply, maybe that's the mom, you know what I mean? Like you're saying, like, yeah. then it's like, you get to be the mom of the song. And maybe I'm so moved by getting to be the parent of this song <laughs> or something. You know? No, I but, totally understand because it's when you have, like for, I think you and I think of music in the same way. Like it's been my passion ever since I can remember. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know any, any other way to put it. Like I imagine you need music uh, just as much as you need to breathe, you know, it's like, I, I couldn't stop if I wanted to kind of thing, right. you know? Yeah. Um, and so when you put that kind of care, love and energy into something, it's a very, uh, would cathartic be a, the right word when it's all said and done? Like it's this, you put so much intent and energy into the, into a song that when it's done, like there's almost a sadness to it. Like, oh, that's, it's, it's done. And it mm -hmm. just gets it just gets to live and breathe somewhere else, and like you're you've re you've babied this injured fawn, and you're about to release it into the wild, you know. And there's some sadness because you got really attached to that fawn, and now it's gonna go create a life by itself and live in the forest. And yeah. I don't know. That was probably from one of my acid trips back. In the song. <laughs> <laughs> like you went really far down that road, my friend. <laughs> That's what, we, that's what we do here so you know sometimes it goes nowhere sometimes you turn into a fawn in the forest and <laughs> go write songs with uh, whatever I don't know <laughs> you live with the forest creatures and you eat bark and you write music <laughs> and you dig a hole and you live in it <laughs> That's exactly what writing a song is like. I think we nailed it. I think so. <laughs> we just I think we it. can do our workshop now. Here's that, a workshop on songwriting. <laughs> Go into the woods and dig a hole. Dig a hole. And don't forget, you <laughs> got to eat bark. Eat bark and be a deer. <laughs> yeah, there it is. We solved it. You want to be a song? We could offer workshops and classes and like, you, you want to be a songwriter? $200, please. <laughs> oh, we'd be loaded. <laughs> you know, who doesn't want the secret of that? <laughs> um, anyways, well, thank you so much. Um, thank you. I, I really so appreciate this. I knew I was going to have a freaking blast. I'm yeah. so psyched. Yes. I'm psyched about your show. I'm psyched about your music. I'm, I mean, it's just great. It's Excellent. it's like you're putting out beautiful, like positive, like joy and uh, really thoughtful questions. Like it's so good. Yeah. I just love it. So. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, it, it was something that started just from a crazy idea, and it's just kind of snowballed into whatever it is now. So we're just having a lot of fun. So I'm I'm glad you're enjoying it. That means a lot. So, yeah. and I'm so happy you could do this. Um, Me so, too. Very excited. So, um, so thank you. Um, thank you, Annie and the Bang Bang. The new record is Loveland. Uh, she told you where you can find it. So go listen, buy, support and uh, all that good stuff. So thank you very much, Annie. Uh, we'll thank talk you. soon. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Conversations from the Rabbit Hole, a mini-series and offshoot of the original The Rabbit Hole that airs live every Thursday night at 9 p.m. on Fuzz Talk Radio. I'm your host, Ryan. We'll see you in the rabbit hole.